Hi, I'm your host, Ryan French, and today my mother, Rebecca French, joins me on Apostolic Voice for a wonderful conversation about faith, trusting God in hard times, marriage, family, parenting, ministry, and pastoring. Mom has served as a pastor's wife for 27 years, and she's been through almost every up and down that life and ministry can bring. And in all of that, she raised three boys who, let's be honest, at least one of them is pretty perfect. Make sure to check out her popular article, originally featured in Reflections Magazine at RyanAFrench.com, called Praising the Lord in All Things. In that article, she gives a profound testimony of keeping the faith through the fire. It will bless you, so go read that as quickly as you can. This really is a great episode, so buckle up, and we'll be right back after this short break. Thank you so much for being on Apostolic Voice. I appreciate you taking the time today. Well, I'm really looking forward to it, Ryan. It's some exciting things that we're going to talk about today. Absolutely. I want to begin just by jumping in. Last last week, I I talked about the issue of hurt, and in that article and in that podcast, I, I mentioned an article that you wrote for Apostolic Voice called Praising the Lord in All Things, a tremendous article, and really you detailed a lot of the health issues that our family had and has had over the years, which is a kind of a lot. Our family has definitely experienced, I don't know, unusual levels of, of health issues. I, I think it's fair to say that. I think uh, so. <laughs> yeah, my, my heart disease, four open heart surgeries, uh, Jonathan, uh, my middle brother had leukemia and battled that. You've had cancer twice, and and we could add a whole lot of other odd things to that list if we wanted to. Yeah. You might mention some of those. I don't know. That's up to you. But uh, I watched you as a young child and all throughout my adulthood keep your faith and your sanity during each one of those scary seasons of life. Not to mention all of the financial struggles and medical bills that severely hurt a young family. As a as a grown man now with my own family and bills, I look at at the medical bills that y'all uh, were crushed under. Really, as as a young couple and as young pastors in a city all by yourself, no family living close to you, I watched you handle all of that and dad and do it with grace and dignity and and keep your faith intact. And maybe you could talk to the listeners just a little bit about how you were able to trust God in those seasons. Well, I certainly was not the person that you thought would become a hospital mom. If you knew me in my younger years, and even as a first young married woman, I was... Um, never comfortable with the hospital situation. I really had been very protected. I, I hadn't experienced a lot of uh, family members or even uh, close church members that had ever walked through those valleys that I had walked closely with. So it was de- definitely an area that I didn't have 
any experience with. But I, I think one of the first things, of course, we were, we were, uh, I was in our mid twenties and, um, had our first child and we had only been in, um, the Chicago suburb of Wheaton for five months when you were born. And we were very excited about that. Uh, and it was only within just a, a few days that we were aware that we were dealing with a very, very serious congenital heart condition, Tetralogy of Fallot. And I think that when I look back, I, I think that I had um, the wrong ideology, some some wrong thinking that um, I probably had never articulated. But when faced with such a life-threatening and difficult circumstance for the first time, I, I think that I had this wrong idea that when you're walking in the will of God, that you kind of have bubble wrap around you. Mm. So knew certain things. I knew that when we were going to go into that city, that we were going to make sacrifices. I knew that. And I was prepared for that. I was willing to do that. You were probably thinking financial. Right. Yes. That's what I was in my mind. We'll sacrifice. I'm sacrificing, uh, you know, I was close to my family. We were hundreds of miles away. We had gone. I was a Southern girl that went North and Mm. (laughs) with those Chicago winters and became I loved it as time went on, but I I expected those things and I was prepared, but I was not prepared for that. And so I think, you know, kind of as a a child raised in the church and you hear the story of Jonah, you know, and Jonah suffered because he did not obey the call of God. Right. But we had obeyed the call of God. And so I think first I had that kind of initial uh, thought. It, It kind of reminds me to jump forward. When you were five and uh, five and a half and you were facing your fourth open heart surgery and we had to sit there and tell you uh, that we were going to have to go back in and we were going to have to isolate you for 10 days. I remember it was a Thanksgiving day and we had to isolate because they needed to make sure that you did not get exposed to anything that could could um, endanger you during the surgery uh, and the recuperation. And so. I remember we had to sit there and tell you a very articulate, very bright five and a half year old who had vivid memories of your surgery when you were four. And when we told you you had to have that, you looked up at us and you said, but what did I do wrong? Mm. And I think that's really what I was doing to the Lord at that time. But what did we do wrong? We're in your will. But, you know, the Lord helped us work through that and understood that bad things happen to good people. And that just because you're in the will of God, when bad things happen does not mean that you don't have the favor of God. You know, sometimes we can have that idea that, that blessings are just favor, but, um, but God works to these things together for our good. And so I think that was kind of one of the first things. And so once I got through that and your dad and I worked through those things, I think, um, some wonderful things happened that I grew in ways that I would have never grown in had I not been faced. You know, it's one thing to pray, uh, give us this day our daily bread if you've never been hungry. Mm, yeah, that's right. But when you're hungry, you pray it with a different fervency and intensity. And I found that my prayers, because I had never faced such difficult things, when you're praying for the life of your child, and you're praying for your own emotional health and everything that goes on around you, your whole world becomes completely encompassed with these things, then your prayers take on 
uh, a different meaning and you learn to enter into a, a prayer realm that you have I had never experienced before. I wish I had. I wish I could say that I had entered into those times before, but I really hadn't. And even though I was a very sincere young woman who was willing to make sacrifices for the kingdom of God, our heart, my heart, but I learned a different level of prayer during that time. You definitely, you definitely learn how to trust God when you have to trust God, as opposed to just theoretically understanding that I need to trust God. But when you really have no choice, wouldn't you say that's true? It's like it almost forces you. It does. You really do have a choice. You decide, will I trust God? Will I, I, I lift up my eyes into the hills from where, where my health comes from? Am I going to do that? Or am I going to go the opposite way and try to get through this on my own? And, you know, we've seen people who do that and it, it doesn't work. So you really have a choice. It's a crossroad. And, you know, speaking of trust, that's another very, very a memorable moment for me, a realization of trust during that time. Some things that the Lord made me aware of, that I was gifted trust. And I, I recognize that I was gifted trust. And that may sound like a strange thing to say, but I was raised by very godly parents. And I, I was raised in a very um, home with unconditional love. I, I mean, I had, there were expectations you know, that we were taught this is um, expectations of of um, behavior and, and all that. I'm not, I, I wasn't raised in an in, overindulgent home, but I was raised in a very godly home with good guidance. And my father took care of his family. He loved his family. And I knew that I could always trust my, my father, my earthly father. And, you know, it's kind of like when you, you think of a young child, and they're standing on the steps and they don't think anything about just jumping off under their dad's arms, you know, because they know their dad's going to catch them. Well, yeah. that's the way I kind of felt in life. You know, my dad is, he's going to, he's, he's there. Well, I remember one night being in the hospital, it was late at night and, um, it was, um, during one of the hospitalizations for when you boys, when things was just really, really rough. And when I say a hospital mom for, for those who may be listening and there have been many hospital moms out there, but you know, there's just a, it, it becomes a life, you know, it's, it's a different world. And so I had my little bag there of things that I needed to work on and, and it was uh, late and the, the hospital was quieter as, as, as quiet as a hospital gets at night. And the lights were off in the room except the one light that I had to read by. And it was my dad's birthday. And I had a card that I was preparing to send to him. And I was doing it. I, I, I actually wrote the words and I thanked him. And I've been so very glad that I did. Because I told him that in all of the challenges that we had had and have had with um, trust and having to trust God in very, very, very hard circumstances and seeing our children suffer and things that we could not understand. We could not make sense out of it, but I could trust in my heavenly father, even when I didn't understand because I had an earthly father that I knew I could trust. It was much easier for me. I had been given that gift of trust because there are many people who have to learn trust and I was gifted trust because I 
automatically could look at my heavenly father and say, Lord, I do not understand this. And I would tell the Lord, Lord, I don't understand. Couldn't we be much more effective for the kingdom of God if we weren't dealing with this? If our, if we weren't spending days in the hospital, if our prayers and our, and our emotions and our, our life wasn't consumed with survival for our children. And if our dining room table was not being piled stack upon stack of medical bills, couldn't we be much more effective? So if I didn't have an answer, I still just knew that I could trust him because I was gifted trust. And I'm very thankful for that. But I will say for those that were not gifted trust and many were not gifted because they not they have not had an earthly father who was an example of our heavenly father but there you can trust in your heavenly father and the lord can help refocus and shape and help you see our heavenly father for who he is who wants to do good gifts and who is there and he is not the source i remember one time having someone come into the hospital and when Jonathan was diagnosed with leukemia after we had gone through years of all of that with you, it was, it was a surreal experience. And I remember someone from the hospital, I, I think it was actually one of the hospital volunteers that came in one time and they looked at me and they said, just, I don't understand. How can you trust in a God that could allow these things to happen? And I said, but it's because you don't understand that God did not cause this to happen. You know, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. There's sin and sickness in this world, not because God, it's because of fallen brokenness in this world. There's sin in this world. So we're all a part of that. And I think learning to grasp that and, and to realize that, that he is there and that we can trust in him. And if we'll put our trust in him and, um, it is that trust that that helps take us to our knees and know that even if we don't hear an answer, faith is the substance of things not seen, that we trust that he is working, as the song says, even when I don't see it. Unless you're living under a rock, you're aware that free speech is under assault right now. Big tech is increasingly censoring religious programming and making it hard for Christians' voices to have a digital platform. I predict this problem is going to worsen as time goes on. That's why I'm asking you to consider supporting this podcast on a monthly basis. You can financially support us by giving as little as 99 cents a month, or you can give $4.99 or $9.99 a month. Just go to www.anchor.com. Dot fm forward slash apostolic voice forward slash support. That link is in the show notes on the device you're using to listen right now, and you should be able to just click the link and it will take you where you need to go. Thank you to everyone who's already done so. Also, please consider giving Apostolic Voice a five-star rating and review on iTunes. They're the big ones, and they are screening religious programming, sometimes even hiding reviews and rankings. However, if we flood them with reviews, it's more difficult for them to deny our request to post them. Also, keep sharing on social media, and let's be unashamed of our faith, even in the big tech realm. Thank you for listening and lifting us up in prayer. God bless. I know that you and I 
and dad and our whole family, we're careful not to label every sickness or, or every physical problem as a spiritual attack because we know life happens. We know that we have finite bodies. We know that we're not promised to live forever in this world. And like you just said a moment ago, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. But we've had many conversations over the years. It did feel like in those days to us, and even in the future, I I even look at uh, the cancer that you went through and just some of the other strange things that have happened to our family. It does seem like the enemy attacked our family physically. And and we know that that's biblically possible because certainly Job was uh, attacked physically. Would you say that there was a spiritual element? I know we don't want to over-spiritualize or overstate it, but do you feel like there was a a spiritual attack incorporated uh, in some of the things, especially in those early days that our family had to go through? Yes, we became very much aware of that. And I, I think that also drove my prayers uh, into um, fighting against that attack. I, I, I said it's like you recognize the handprint of the enemy. And I, we became an awareness. It, it, there were so many things that happened. Not only did we have the, the, the very major situations that some people never experience, and um, that is your heart surgeries. And so for six years, um, you know, we had four open heart surgeries for you. There were two times that you were scheduled for surgery that they canceled at the morning of. And the reason that's significant is because from a mother and parent standpoint and grandparent standpoint, I've had six nights that I laid awake knowing that the next morning we may walk as far as the operating room and they would, they would let us go follow the cart with you and go as far to the doors and they would open the doors and you would go in. We had one morning that the surgeon said, he called us out with the cardiologist. We were waiting for them to come and take you for surgery. And we had one morning that the surgeon took us to a conference room and he said, I can drive a car going 240 miles an hour, but I wouldn't do it unless I have to. And I can operate on Ryan today, but these muscle bundles that are in his heart that we are having to shave away right now, one of the things that we're having to do in the surgery, they are within millimeters of his coronary artery. And if we nick that artery, it's fatal. So I could do it today, but I don't think we have to do it today. It's your choice. Well, what do you do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You go back to the room and you pack your bags and you go home. But um, only to have the cardiologist then consult with you and say, it has to be done. Now, I want to put this in perspective for people who don't know your story and, and the history, I think maybe we're taking it for granted that some people understand, but you and dad moved to Wheaton, which is a a suburb of Chicago to start a church. Dad also entered into a a college program. Was he starting his master's degree at Wheaton college at that time? Or was he still in a bachelor program? in from his Bible school and uh, another college, and he was completing his uh, bachelor's degree. There. So the, the master's came after program him. came later, but he, so he started right. a, a really intense um, program Wheaton. at Wheaton College, starting a church from, from scratch, and right. you had moved from all friends and family. So it wasn't like you had, you know, 
your mom and dad or, or any other family there, there with you. And, and then just five, six months in after that. So was I born, you said earlier, I was born, what, five months after you moved to Wheaton? Right. We moved the day after Christmas and you were born uh, April the 20th. And so, uh, so at that point, it was just about a month later that all the intense right. medical issues began to happen. We found out and you had your first surgery at two months of age. So, And you were, you and dad really were, when I think back, you, you were both ex- extremely young at that time. Well, we were in our mid-20s. And so compared to what we are now, that's very young. <laughs> well, I, I think for most people, that's right. that's incredibly young to, to have all of those things happening at the same time. So it, it really was intense for people that don't understand and then you're you're facing all of this now i want to just kind of shift gears and ask you uh, and this is a story that if if you've heard if you've heard dad preach very many times you've you've probably heard him mention this story Uh, he he talks about going to to a meeting a, a church service and he was in the altar and he was praying and it I, I don't remember if this particular story was when Jonathan was sick or me, but uh, somebody came up to dad in the altar and said something along the lines of, if you just had faith for your son, he wouldn't be sick right now. Some I might be getting the story a little bit wrong. That's correct, yes. And and I know that devastated dad. I mean, he still he still mentions it to this day. Well, and, it was devastating at that time. Yeah, and, and it, it would be. And he uses it as an example, of course, of exactly what you shouldn't do <laughs> to, right. to people who are who are hurting who are in the midst of that's major friendly fire <laughs> yes that's friendly fire and it, i mean it's just a perfect example of of what not to do to people right. and you know the sad thing is that that individual i don't even know who it was but that individual probably was not intending to be ugly even though they were and, and I know that you've seen this a lot. I've definitely seen this in my life. Anyone who's ever had any major hurt or pain or difficulty in their life knows what it's like to have someone that ought to be helping them hurt them in some way. And, and so because of that, I, I thought maybe you could just give just a little bit of advice to people who might know someone who's grieving or hurting or struggling through no fault of their own. Right. And 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 maybe give them a little kind, loving advice on how to help reach out to people who are, are struggling. You know, I, I, I look back on myself and I see times that I probably misspoke, never intentional. So I know that there were people that spoke into our lives at times that it was very painful that they didn't, they didn't realize how painful words can be because the implication that their words gave, you know, what they were implying with that was not really what their heart intended to say. But when you are dealing with a a situation that's life or death or whatever, that's a very, and if somebody says, if you only have faith, I remember uh, your dad coming home and going to me saying, my faith, where is it in the Bible that says my faith? I had enough faith to move my family here with, with no no support. Right. I had faith. We've evangelized for, we've worked for the kingdom. I have faith. 
Uh, and so when they're saying that, they're implying that if my son is not healed, it is because I have a lack of faith. So that's the way those words were perceived. I can go even, and, and this was from somebody that was not an apostolic, but that was in the um, claim it and name it doctrine. Yeah. And uh, it was a, a sister of the a, Blab It Grab It group. Yes, exactly right. And a sister that was of a new convert that we had, and she looked at me to my face and said, well, Christians don't have children with heart conditions. Mm. And so now that was stunning to me that someone could be that callous. But the ones that really hurt were people that looked and said, if you only have faith. And, and you know, I think probably the best thing to do during times like that, and I've learned probably through even misspeaking myself through the years, that many times it's not always that you can say, anything, but I'm here and I care and I'm praying for you. I don't understand the reasons, um, but I know that we can trust in God. I I think just sometimes being there, I know that for myself many times, uh, it's like the old song that says, I give you Jesus. I'll pray for you. I know that I can't fix it, but I care. Sometimes I think those are the best things. And and just to let them know that that God is there, even when you can't see it. He is there. He is working. If you don't mind, I'd like to go back just a moment, though, to about the spiritual attack, because that that was a, a very real time. And it is true that there are many things that happen to us. Every time we get a flat tire, the devil didn't do it. Right. You know? Right. Every time, you know, we get a cold, you know, so that's very, very real. But there was that that season of time. And I do believe this. I do believe that um, ministry families. Now, other families are, too, uh, children of God that are serving God, that are, are, are really impacting the kingdom. There are times, just like Job, that, that they come under an attack that, that, that God says um, he's going to allow some certain things. But, you know, he's always there, and that's the important thing. He's there. But when I realized that it did change my prayers. But so we had, um, we had your situation, and then— we had Jonathan's situation. So you were uh, eight years old. The, the night that the very summer you were facing the potential of having a fifth open heart surgery. So at that time, we had Jonathan, who was two, and Nathan was six months old. And so we had our three sons. And we were in Connecticut, and you had flown to Connecticut with us. And Brother Billy Cole was doing the camp meeting. Connecticut camp was held at a Rhode Island college campus in the summer. And so during the daytime, they had youth camp and we were younger and dad was the the youth camp speaker. But at night we would be in the camp meeting with Brother Billy Cole. I'm sure you remember those, that experience that summer. I do. Yeah. It was a neat summer. You had a leak around a patch in your heart, the lower chambers of the heart. You had a, a patch, but you had multiple things with your heart that had to be corrected. So when we say open heart surgery for you, it was open heart surgery. Right. So we were there and in the evening service, the Lord spoke to your dad one night in those powerful services with Brother Billy Cole. And the Lord spoke to him and said, Ryan is okay. I've taken care of that problem. Ryan will not have another surgery. And as time went on, uh, when we got back and when we were able, that that was true. We went in, the whole, the leak was gone. You did not have to have a fifth. We saw a miracle. We had prayed for many miracles. God had been there, but you'd had many surgeries. 
but you did not have to have that fifth surgery. It was but miraculous. It was miraculous. They had said a fifth, but we didn't have to have that. But that very meeting that the Lord spoke to your dad, we got a call from my parents that Jonathan started limping. And that started the process of us getting back and then getting into our doctor. And then the absolutely stunning diagnosis within just a few days that Jonathan had leukemia. And when they discovered it, it was a Wednesday, Wednesday night after church. I was home with him because he was not sick. And I just want to tell an spiritual experience that I had because God does things. He doesn't always take it away for he prepares us. And that day I had this concern. Now, listen, I've had concerns that never came to pass. So sometimes it's hard to know if this like a, a, a feeling that you have is fear or whether God is preparing you. Sure. So, yeah. But that day in my mind, out of nowhere, I thought Jonathan has leukemia. I cannot tell you. Why? I did not know anybody with leukemia. Jonathan did not present the way normally people do with leukemia. But it was so strong that I went and told your dad. I voiced it. I said, I'm afraid Jonathan has leukemia. Wow. Still do not know. And he looked at me and says, no, 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 that can't be. But that night when he got in from Bible study and you got in with your dad, we got the call and they literally told us, we have just got results back. Jonathan has leukemia. We had not even heard them. We didn't, we had no idea that was even in the consideration of what his situation was. And they were waiting for us at Children's Memorial. So that was a very surreal experience. But during that time, we had that, we had so many other strange things that would happen. I mean, it was just that, that it, we knew it was a spiritual attack. And so I believe that, you know, Satan does want to come and he was coming against our family because what will impact and can make someone ineffective or paralyze them more than when you're completely overwhelmed with those types of things. And so, you know, for an example, and, and we could go on, but just so many weird things. But one of the unique things is at one point um, in this span of years that it was so intense is your dad and Jonathan both had their appendix out within 24 hours of each other. Yeah, I remember that. Very, very strange things. Very strange things. And so it wasn't so. And our doctor, we had a wonderful family doctor who was a Christian, and he he was he was wonderful. He was wonderful. And, and he looked at us with like, y'all have no underlying health issues. Dad and I didn't. But we would have hospitalizations. I was hospitalized one time for 18 days for a surgery that went wrong. I mean, we had just major crazy things. But you know, during those times when I recognized at the hand of the enemy, I fought on our, we fought on our knees for our, our family. Yeah. I know in my life, I look back and I wouldn't change. You know, Josh Michael was on and, and you know Josh, he's the fourth oh. French brother. And oh, yes. You love Josh. Oh, I love Josh. And, um, I was there at the hospital with him. And- yeah, after he was wounded. And, you know, he said something that I thought was really, really powerful uh, at the end of, of our podcast episode together. I asked him if, you know, if you could go back and change, tell Josh, the, you know, younger Josh, one thing you could change about life, maybe something that would save you some pain. And, and he said, you know, I don't, I don't think I would change anything. He said, the problem I have with that question is that uh, that implies that the pain was bad. 
And I thought that was a really good answer because everything that we go through shapes us. It really is true that God takes what the devil intended for evil and and he really does turn it around for our good. And sometimes we don't see the good of it until way down the road in life. And maybe sometimes we never even fully recognize it in this lifetime. But I know for me, I, I think of of the the health issues that I had as a child, and that has shaped me. It shaped my faith. I a lot of the faith that I've had as as an adult started to grow and germinate as a child in the hospital when I had no choice but to trust God. Right. And and of course it, it's all in how you respond to things. We know that. But I was in a home and a family that taught me how to respond properly to pain, that taught me how to, that trained me to, to put my, my faith in God. And, but I look at, at my adult life, and for example, in ministry, I have empathy for people who are sick and people who are hurting in ways that I, I don't think that I would have had otherwise. Right. Um, I, I, can, I can go into a hospital situation, and I have many hundreds of times, and, and I can relate and feel a, a, an oh, yeah. empathy for them and that situation and also have faith for them at the same time. Right. Uh, and so it's, it's helped me in many ways as, as a minister and helped me have faith in other areas of my life as well. Are right. you able to look at those things, even your own sicknesses and, and battling cancer twice? Are you able to affirm that to, to where you see in your own ministry even oh, how yes. God has used it to help you be better than yes. you would have been otherwise? I said many times, you know, you would never ask for those things. Who would ask for hardship? Of course not. But I never. I, I, I see changes in me. You know, I learned to praise the Lord in a way. Uh, I, it changed me. I was, I was, uh, loved the Lord from a child. I received the Holy Ghost when I was seven years old, and I always wanted to serve the Lord. I never had a desire to do anything but to please the Lord and to serve the Lord. But my personality is uh, I'm an introvert. I'm reserved. And so while my worship was always sincere, it there were changes that took place. I, I learned where my strength came from and in it, it changed the whole dynamics. We went to hear I got I had the opportunity to hear Sister Freeman, Sister Nona Freeman, uh, during some really difficult times. And it was a, a life changing experience that many people might would have sat there and it did not impact them the same way as it did me because my need was so great. I had such a great need at that time. And she talked about our worship and how we praise the Lord in everything. And I remember determining that I was going to praise the Lord, no matter if I had been at the hospital room and I had a, until late the night before. And there were many times that we were in a hospital room till late on a Saturday night. And I would be up in the night giving John a rescue medication during the night because he had to have a rescue drug because the chemo was breaking down the DNA. I mean, it was, it was a big deal. And, and if he was well enough, we were faithful and I was there the next morning. It depended. And we never endangered our children's health, but regardless of circumstances, I knew for my health and I came through and I would learn to praise him. And so while my nature might be reserved, I, I, I got to the place that, you know what? It was me and God. And I wasn't really worried about everybody around me. I, I, I didn't worry that if my face looked pretty or not, if I was 
weeping before the Lord or praising the Lord. I didn't worry how my voice sounded. I didn't worry about it. It was me and God. I learned a dimension of worship and praise. There are so many things that I learned. And yes, empathy, empathy there. You know, it's like and 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 faith and trust that this next thing it's like exercising your spiritual muscles if i can go through this pain and i think that's what happened to me when i had the cancer i mean honest to goodness that was a difficult time but you know when i was diagnosed with cancer i mean my concern was my family and all but you know i looked at it and thought my goodness when i was going through the treatment and it was very difficult my first bout with cancer was very difficult and the chemo was really ravaged me it was difficult but at that point i was like you know what after what my boys have been through i can do this you know i can handle this yeah, it's know? amazing how god brings you through things where you say well you know what if if god could bring me through that god can bring me through anything <laughs> It's just, you know, it's it's different. And I I really do think my experience with cancer was different than somebody who had never experienced things before because it's like, you know, I've been here, done this. We got through this. God is here, you know. And so it was hard. Oh, yes, it was hard. It wasn't easy. But, you know, I, I just didn't sit around and have to evaluate. I'd been through all those things before. I knew where my trust was. I knew that I needed to praise him. I knew that I could be in the will of God and still be found facing challenging things, you know. And you, so, had, you had settled those things a long time ago. Things a long time ago. And so uh, those things are building blocks, you know, in our faith. And so, and you know, they apply to other areas in our life, too. I want to switch gears just a little bit. You and dad have a beautiful and strong marriage. And I want to make this kind of a two-part question. I want to go back in time and ask you uh, about your younger days in marriage, specifically during the the sicknesses and, and young pastors and pastor's wife and all of the financial struggles that, that went along with that. And, but I also want to you know, move forward to where we are right now and ask you to give uh, some advice to young middle-aged married couples. You know, your early years of marriage, I think, were much more stressful probably than, now I know for young married couples, it's it's always stressful. There's just the stress of learning to be married and, and the stress of learning to be on your own and all of those things, finding your way and path in life. But you had a lot of unusual stress on you in those early days. Uh, I know at one point, and I don't want to get this wrong, but I, I think I've heard Dad say at one point there was a million dollars in in unpaid medical bills. I know insurance problems. You can people can imagine the insurance difficulties that would go along with all of that. Can can you give some advice? Go back to when you were young, and all of that was happening. Maybe speak to a young married couple that might be going through some intensely difficult things right now. And, and just give them some quick marriage advice. Well, first, let me say it's hard. There's no sense in, in trying to um, sugarcoat it and, and make it seem like it's just a piece of cake. It's not. It's very difficult. That's one of the things, you know, when you have any kind of health issues, the financial, it's like, oh, my goodness, if I'm going to pay all this money, don't I get benefit? But, it's you know, you get your life is what happens or you get your children. Yeah. So, um, 
the stress of um, financial, you know, was huge. But I'll say this faithfulness, when you're faithful and you, you give of your tithes, even when you don't know where you're going to be able to take care of other needs and you stay faithful, faithfulness in small things, faithfulness in just being consistent and prayerfulness. And so those were difficult times, but you know, we were truly committed to each other. I mean, there's one thing we knew above, you know, life was hard, but we were in it together. Okay. So we were, we were, we were pulling in the same direction and we, we prayed. I will, I'd like to say we had miracles happen. There were many miracles that happened. And let me tell you that if you are serving the Lord and if you are, um, now when people live above their means, sometimes there's, there's consequences, you know, there's the, you reap what you sow, you have to, you know, and the God will help you. But when you have things that are completely beyond your control, you know, you can say, now, Lord, uh, I need your help and, and guidance. And, you know, we saw miracles happen. I remember one time when Jonathan was very, very sick and we needed a new car and we were trying to get a new car just before that happened. And, and then he got very sick and life got so crazy. And, and, uh, we had an absolute miracle happen out of nowhere to us. We, we drove home and I know you remember the blue van. Oh yeah. And that blue van came in our driveway and we never was even given all the details. Uh, we know, uh, that it was not just one person. Some of it was our church people. I think probably my dad and uh, some and other ministers in our area that all came together. It wasn't brand new, but it looked like brand new. And it was keys given to us and it was completely paid for. Incredible miracles. It we might all, as well have been a Mercedes Benz to our family. Oh, listen, it, yeah, yeah. It was an absolute wonderful miracle. And there were other times that we were faithfully trying to find ways to pay medical bills. And I mean, we had so many, you know, you, you know how it is when you have that many hospitalizations and you have an anesthesiologist for this and all. So, I mean, it's stacked and you literally look at it and it is Mount Everest. It was, I'm saying it was, but I'm going to tell you just the fact that God brought us through that has built my faith that I, when I face something and I worry and I trouble over it, I remember when, but God, you took care of that because I remember a time that we were trying to find out how can we pay this much to each one and still put food on the table. You know, can we spend $10 to this one or $5? I mean, it was, it was that bad uh, monthly, you know, just trying to say, how can we tackle these medical bills? We did a lot of Taco Bell. We did a lot of Taco Bell. <laughs> a lot of Taco Bell. Yeah. Uh, so did vacations where we had a, a big change jar and we would say, do you want McDonald's or do you want to go on vacation? And mm -hmm. so, yeah, and, you know, so, but you know, there were precious memories, you know, absolutely uh, good memories. But I remember a time that, that your dad called about one, that one medical bill that we were, we were trying to make sure we had the final total on it so we could try to make those arrangements and they couldn't find it. And, um, and so they dropped it. They, they forgave it. Yeah. And they called back the next day and they said, we found it. But because we forgave it, it's forgiven. Yeah, amen. Wow. Yes, it was a miracle. So do everything that you can during those times too. Those times can be very heavy. I think in relationships, there's going to be one time that somebody is overwhelmed because real life is, can be overwhelming. And so I think that sometimes dad and I would switch roles. One would be the encourager while the other one was overwhelmed. You know, I was just about to say, I, I was too young during, you know, my health issues to really have been able to pay attention to how you and dad were responding. But when John had leukemia, 
uh, I have vivid memories, and and I think that I I remember observing exactly what you just said. It seemed like the Lord did it for you and Dad, where when He was really really down, your faith would be high, right? And you were able to help Him, and right. when and then maybe you would be really really down, and then Dad's faith would be high, and He'd be able to help you. And sometimes you would just kind of take turns lifting yes. one another up. Right. Exactly right. Sometimes one is giving 100% while the other one has nothing left to give. You know, it, it's, it's back and forth. But it's, I, read, I read somewhere recently, you know, a lot of people say marriage is, is 50-50. And this book was challenging that, that notion, the idea that, you know, sometimes it's 80-20. Sometimes it's, it's – and then it – goes the other way. It's like sometimes you're giving 80% and they're giving 20 and then it, it reverses. Do you think that's a truism? Do you think that's real? I know it is. I, it is a truism. I, uh, and I'll, I'll even go further in, in our experience. For instance, when I had cancer and I was very sick and very, very weak, your dad was giving 100% at that time. Oh, he yeah. Was, yeah. He was... He was um, it was definitely a time. And then there have been other times that in his, uh, uh, that I was having to give more. And so it's a back and forth. It's not 50, 50. And I think a lot of times marriages suffer because people think it's that way, but it's not, it's, it's taking care of the need that's there. Yeah. And don't not, you think that 50, 50 mindset has done a lot of damage to I think it marriages? Damage. There's no such thing as 50, 50 and it can fluctuate day by day. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and 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 season by season. Sometimes you go through extended seasons where you know you might be giving more right. out of necessity or uh, or even just because that's what's best at that moment. And you know, I think our society has has the the uh, mentality of our society. The me generation is very. You know, we live in a very selfish society, and I think that's one thing that hurts marriages because they say, "Well, I'm giving too much." Well, you know, that's part of the deal. <laughs> That's part of the deal. When it's, um, you know, it's it's to uh, till death do we part. I read somewhere else recently that the key to marriage, and really in many ways to relationships in general in life, is selflessness. You mentioned earlier, you know, we really do. We live in the we live in the iPhone generation where everything's it's I, it's me, it's the iPhone, the iPad, the iPods. It's it, yes. and it almost subliminally we're we're programmed or conditioned to put ourselves first and and you know the mantra of our culture follow your heart and and all of those kind of things that are kind of selfishly motivated philosophies push us in our marriages to to bring that into our relationship and so much of what you're saying it really is just comes down to a selflessness that says I'm going to I'm going to love even when it's hard. I'm going to sacrifice when it's hard. I'm going to I'm going to lift the load even when it seems unfair. Is that is that fair to say? Do you think that's a I think that's exactly right. You know, we're called to be Christ-like. And was there anyone more unselfish than our Lord? Right. He laid his life. And so um but you know, selfless relationships do blossom really for a relationship you you cannot always be thinking of yourself you really have to start to consider your brother or your sister or your husband and it's very very important selflessness or your children or your children nothing makes you more selfless than children and grandchildren oh exactly right Uh, if if you're doing it correctly if you're doing it correctly exactly right 
I know one of the questions that you get all the time is is about parenting and and now about grandparenting even but um your three sons all serve the lord uh, myself yeah. jonathan and nathan and and i know you give god the credit for that and you certainly don't feel arrogant about it but you did a remarkable job raising your sons through very difficult times as we've already mentioned and and i know a lot of people ask you what are some tips? You know, I want my children, I want my boys, I want my daughters to serve the Lord. I know as a parent with with my two children, that's that's my daily heartbeat. You know, what can I do? I want my kids, I want my kids to serve the Lord. I want them to love the Lord. Maybe you could just talk. I know, I know there's not a one size fits all. I know there's not a, a silver bullet. And I, and you and I also know, we've talked about this before. Uh, we know wonderful people who have selflessly raised their children and done everything in their power to put their children on the right track and they've gone down the wrong track. And that doesn't mean that they were bad parents or, or that they did something terribly wrong. And so we're not, we're not approaching this conversation flippantly or arrogantly. Maybe you could give some parenting tips. You know, I, I really, I thank the Lord daily. I'm so thankful and so grateful that my son's are walking in truth and their families are all walking in truth. And I'm so very thankful for that. But I, I do feel very humble about that. And and like you say, there's no arrogance there because I know that the enemy fights families and and, and in particular ministry families, because he, you know, he knows what more could harm and hurt a minister's heart. And all is to have, to give their life for the kingdom and then their children not to walk in truth. So, and so there are a lot of voices and other impacts. And so uh, I do thank the Lord. I also know my own imperfections and shortcomings. And sometimes I think, Oh, it's by the grace of God, <laughs> you know, because I certainly didn't have a uh, perfection in, in everything that I did. But I, I do know that from the very beginning, your dad and I, you know, it was a passion. It was an intentional thing from the very beginning is to make sure that we really worked very hard and diligently just from the very beginning. I, I remember specifically during times that you and Jonathan were very, very sick and very young and very sick. And I would pray and I would beseech the Lord and I would pray for deliverance and I would pray for healing. But I remember even then praying and saying, Lord, if in your your foreknowledge, you know that they're not going to serve you, I, I will grieve the rest of my life. And I don't know how I will handle that grief. I've never walked down that road before, but I would rather grieve the rest of my life. So Lord, take them now if you see that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because that's how intense our burden was to make sure that we could try to do. So we were intentional. And so I think as far as as some of the things that we really did try to implement is that we we um, we really did try to guard your lives. And I can look back and see the areas that I, I probably incidents that I thought, oh, my goodness, I didn't guard that well at that time. You know, in hindsight, you can. But, you know, as the world got worse, you realize you had to guard more. But, you know, we really did try to guard the influences in your life, the types of friends that you would have. Uh, We tried to be very intentional. Um, Ours was definitely a home where we worked hard to know where you were, uh, where all of y'all were. 
I, I don't think that our home was overly restrictive, but it was definitely a home of accountability, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I remember, I don't, I'll get ages wrong. My memory these days has just gotten terrible, but oh, I was in my teens. I had to have been in my teens. Uh, we were in Indianapolis at that time. So, I mean, I might've even been 20. I don't know, but I had a curfew. I mean, as long as I lived at home, I had a curfew. I ha If I lived at home, I had to give accountability for where I was going to be and what I was going to be doing. And uh, I broke curfew a few times. Yes. And I remember coming home extremely <laughs> late, thinking I would just slip up to my room and, uh, and uh, you and dad were sitting downstairs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very sleepy and yeah. very concerned and, and also very angry. And, you know, I didn't like it then. I, yeah. I didn't like it then. Uh, certainly, certainly not. And you know, I don't think I was doing anything anything bad. No, no there was never a, a time. I, you know, I, I'm I'm very blessed. I never ever ever had a time that that I even actually worried that my sons were doing something wrong. But you know what, Mom? I can look back and realize that the reason that I didn't really feel. Uh, liberty or even strong temptation to do things wrong that maybe I otherwise would have been tempted to do as a young person was because I knew I was going to come home. And if I had done something wrong, y'all were going to figure it out. You know, you, yes. <laughs> you were going to, yes. you were going to, you were going to figure it out. You know, you were going to, you were going to search until you figured out, you know, why the puzzle pieces weren't fitting, you know? And so that saved me a lot of times because I might have felt the temptation to do something, but I knew, hey, mom and dad are going to figure this out. Yes, there was accountability. And even though we really did trust you, y'all, y'all, we did trust, but there was accountability. And even as you got older, it would be, you know what, when you're living in our home, you know, this mom doesn't rest until I know everybody's safe. Now, when you're married and you're gone, you know, that's different. But, you know, you're in this home, of course, because y'all were in your home when you were still single. So, you know, even as you're older, when there's dating and all, there needs to be accountability and uh, even with friends. So we had accountability. We were very, very intentional. We tried to be very intentional. It was really important to us to, when we said no, and we did say no, but we wanted to say yes as many times as we can. So we didn't love to say no. You know, we weren't the parents that just loved to say no. But if we said, no, we're not doing that, or you're not doing this, or you're not watching that, or you're not going there, there was a reason. It wasn't just like I said no, and that's the reason. I want to tell you the reason for no. You were really intentional about giving giving the reasons why we weren't allowed to do certain things. Right. This may or may not be interesting to people listening. I don't know, but it, it's a vivid memory in, in my childhood slash young, very young teens. You and dad were raised listening to, I don't know. I mean, I know that I know that you loved Southern gospel. Dad was even more Southern gospel than me, actually. Yes. Dad, dad liked Southern God. Dad even liked bluegrass for a time. He went through a little bit of a bluegrass phase right. there. I don't know. I, I guess your influence was more... I was of the early Jackson era and the, the um, Lenny Wolf era really impacted me. And then I was a Brooklyn Tabernacle choir lover. And yes. Yeah. You y'all... And, yeah. and music yeah. music was a big part of our, our lives growing up. I mean, you played piano in the church. I don't even know how you did it with everything going on, but you played piano and and uh, dad sang and it, it was starting a church. You know, you do a lot of, you do everything. And so I grew up loving music and being musical. And uh, I, I have this memory, and I know you do as well. I, I started 
liking more contemporary Christian music. And thinking back, it's it's almost funny to me, but it was a big deal at the time. I, I got into Stephen Curtis Chapman. I really like Stephen Curtis Chapman's music. And now he seems like, you know, tame and mild as can possibly be. But, but back then he came out with an album called Signs of Life. And it just stylistically not lyrically but stylistically it was it was very modern and and a little on the rocky side very different from you know what was typically played in our house and i loved i got the tape for goodness sake i remember how long ago that was yeah and and i i was playing a song and i don't remember we were in the car maybe you heard it and you just did not like it it didn't strike you well i believe it was the lord of the dance it was the song lord of the dance you you I actually was taking offense to, I didn't understand the lyrics, what he was even trying to say. I, I was thinking, I, 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 I yes, go ahead. Yes. And I think it was more than that, too. I think even just the style of it, everything, you put it all together, it was just, you did not like it. No. You felt like it was ungodly. I was I was uh, very strong, in my opinion. Very strong. I mean, it, this wasn't a mild conversation. I mean, you were very upset. and uh, And I was... I mean, I was just crushed by it because I loved it. And I'm trying to understand, you know, what's what's wrong with this? You know, do I have to listen to Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir? Is that all I'm allowed to listen to? And we had this long back and forth about it. And it was kind of a strange turning point, I think, because you weren't going to you weren't going to compromise and you never have compromised. But you were in that moment willing as a parent to say, "Okay, I need to think about why I don't like this. Do I do I not like it? for for legitimate spiritual or biblical reasons or do I just not like it myself and I've always really respected that about you and dad that eventually you you were able to see okay I don't like this personally but there's nothing wrong with it well actually I began to love Steve Kerr's chapter yes oh well that's a whole nother story yeah that which is incredible when I think back yeah. about it that impacted me as a young person because I realized you weren't just making rules based on your preferences. If you had a rule or if you said no to something, it really was because you had a biblical or spiritual undergirding to that opinion. And you weren't going to just fight over your preferences. And, and do you remember that? Is that? Does that stand out in your mind? Very vivid memory. I remember exactly where we were. We were in the Donata area of Wheaton, and we had just gone to the family bookstore and uh, you were, I mean... A highlight of my childhood, by the way. It was a highlight. It was. It was a big deal. And it was just you and I. And and that probably didn't happen all the time either because you had two younger brothers. And and it was a, a fun time. And I remember that very vividly. Uh, you putting that on and and me getting my righteous indignation on and really just started in on it. And I remembered you very respectfully, very respectfully. And I believe you were about probably 14 years old. I remember you looking at me and saying, with actual, and this wasn't a common thing for you either, you actually had tears in your eyes. And you looked at me and you said, okay, mom, I don't want to do wrong. If this is wrong, tell me what's wrong about it. And that literally took my breath away. And I had to stop my tirade, you know, just stop this. Oh, well, my goodness, what, you know, and, and all that <laughs> It's like, you know, I, you know, I've seen this in myself and, and I recognize that we have to be thoughtful because 
I see people compromise. I had seen friends compromise. I'm not going to be a compromiser. Right. But if we're not careful, we can let our fear of compromise actually uh, not make us be thoughtful. And, and probably at that moment, it was like, you know, I've got to make sure. So I think that that was an important part. And I, I do believe that your dad and I both tried. I think that's a, a very important thing, even in my imperfections. And we're showing my imperfection there. Certainly, I didn't start the conversation right, but I was able to stop back and listen. And we had a conversation about it and and we thought it through and we worked through it. And I, I actually think it's the opposite. I, I actually think that it doesn't show your imperfection. I, I think it shows really a strength that you were able to to pivot without compromising, but but recognize something and pivot uh, even though it was uncomfortable for you. And that's hard That's hard sometimes for, for parents to do. Now, of course, we see the opposite end of the spectrum where sometimes parents go the other direction and they just have an anything goes mentality. Right. And, and that's very, very dangerous. And uh, I've seen that happen. And I think probably for us, we, we had seen that happen. And, and we had seen uh, churches and ministries greatly impacted because they held it strong until their children came along. Sure. Ed and I were determined that not only were did we value truth, we valued our children and we wanted our children. We wanted our children to be saved. I think, you know, that goes into there's some things that that we really did do because we did seek to try to help our understanding about raising children by by reading. You know, I was a you know, we called uh, James Dobson. Y'all would call him Brother Dobson around the house. Because, you know, <laughs> yeah, we sure did. Always listening to focus on the family or reading how, how to raise raising boys, you know, or the strong-willed child. Or we were reading The Birth Order by, uh, was that Lehman or Smalley? I think it's Smalley. I, I just, different ones. We were, I was doing everything I could to try to have an understanding of, of and even temperaments, what trying to understand you know, that's part of relationship in anything, you know, in a marriage, but also in your children to try to understand because every child is different. And, you know, somebody that has a very uh, mild mannered child or complacent child, they think they have parenting down. We had one dear sister who did that. Her first child was just so I mean, she was just a very easy child. <laughs> what what a blessing. And she thought she had the parenting thing and she saw everybody else that was struggling with, you know, a, a, a two year old tantrum or things like that until her second one came along. And then it's the, the reality is that, you know, there's developmental stages stages. And, you know, and that's another thing I think as a parent, I really do think it's important to try to understand what takes place in, in the development, I, you know, in the two year olds and all those things, you know, what's taking place in their development that causes certain and, and, and how to try to react properly. You know, you were raised in a pastor's home, but this is pastors, saints alike. But, you know, faithfulness, we made sure that your lives revolved around the things of the Lord. You know, and I, I know that sometimes people get their kids involved in a lot of outside extracurricular things and they think that that's making them, you know, um, and I'm not saying that all of that is harmful. But, you know, our choice was was not to do that. Our choice was to have y'all involved in um Things that uh, involved, you know, the house of the Lord. If you played 
you know, y'all weren't in little leaks and things like that that would pull your attention away or try to get you away from, um, you know, so we could go out and do visitation on Saturdays instead of being out on the ball field on Saturday mornings. Right. You know? mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like so, you know, uh, our lives revolved around the things of God. Even I remember, and of course this was Brother Dobson, um, James Dobson said one time, try to help your child find one thing that they're really good at to help build their confidence. Yes, and I want to just pause and tell parents out there, listeners, that this really is, I know what mom's about to say, and, and this really is profound, and I can say in my own life, this is extremely true. So I, I interrupted you, I'll let you go ahead. It, it impacted me when I read it. And so because we were ministry and we were, uh, all of our family loved music, you know, you, you had other interests, the boys had interests, but everybody loved music. And so we first introduced you to, um, through a man in our church who was a guitarist and you took, uh, guitar lessons, music lessons, and you became, uh, even though you don't, you don't use that as much now with your ministry, but at one point it was a huge part of your life. Oh, it was, a, it was my identity for a long time. Identity for a long time. And you became a gifted guitarist. And then you in turn, taught your younger brother. And I remember the Christmas when uh, Jonathan and Nathan were uh, nine and 11 and we bought a guitar for them and uh, you started um, guitar lessons for Nathan and Nathan started developing his musical gifts. And we can see where that's now. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, a songwriter and musician and his music has, uh, has certainly continues to play a big part. And then John, Josh Michael. So John really, his, his interest was more toward the bass. And so Josh Michael is the one who taught Jonathan and then Jonathan grew and is an outstanding guitarist and even has played, you know, on recordings for Nathan and Rachel. And so, and is our, our, uh, bass player and would even have more venues open for him if he chose to with his gifts. So, but that brought um, an ability to incorporate something that you loved into worship and open doors for you. And it, it helped build confidence. And so, you know, it may not be everybody family is not gifted or bent toward music. It can be, but I do believe it's important that you try to help someone find something that they can find an area that would grow, that would be ministry. You know, right now there's so many things in a church. If you have a child who's very gifted towards photography, my goodness, our media team always needs someone that can help run a camera or, you know, someone that's gifted with graphics and computer or on and on and on. Oh, there's, there's so many areas, but if a, if a, if a child or a young person, especially in the teen years, if they can find that, one thing right. that they're very good at right. and passionate about and interested in. And it's even better if they can find a way to incorporate that in, in their local church. Right. If they can find that, it gives them a confidence moving forward. I know when I was in my senior year of high school or just before it, we moved from, from Wheaton to Indianapolis. That's a long story. Dad went to Indiana Bible College to be dean of theology and then eventually became the vice president vice president. That was very disconcerting for me because I was I had to leave everything that I was comfortable with right. at a pivotal time in my life and go to a from a, a comparatively a very small home missions right. church to one of the biggest churches in the country. Right. And I went from being the the pastor's son to just a kid in the youth group, you know. 
and if it hadn't been for for the guitar and 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 my passion for that and and what that did like you said it gave me opportunities to connect with people and to involve myself I really feel like I probably would have been lost in the shuffle in many ways if it hadn't been for that young people need that there's no doubt about it If you could sit down for two minutes with young Rebecca, go back in time, what advice would you give her? What would you say to encourage her? Well, you know, that's a really, as as Grandpa Smith, my dad would have said, that's a mighty deep question there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When I look back, I still believe um, in the the premise that we had, uh, in in the direction that we had. And I think if I could go back, I... I mean, redos would be wonderful to redo. You know, there's so many incidents that I would like to go back and maybe redo. But I think my premise was right. I would like to go back and redo things with more wisdom. Like I pray for wisdom. And and I think in some areas I've gained wisdom, uh, maybe more patience, uh, but always with the same consistency and always with the same purpose and intent so I don't think that I would redo the direction that we went. And even there in the times that were hard, like, for instance, uh, times that were adjustment, you know, when we were in God's will and there were changes that they were very hard. You know, it's not that you can redo that, but you I, I would just pray for more wisdom to be able to do things more perfectly or to do things better, to try to be more insightful, more prayerful. I would always say uh, my my personality is this. Let me say it this way. My my nature is to be a fixer. And I have gotten myself in more distress through the years <laughs> trying to fix things. <laughs> right. I, I am a fixer. I, I want to I, I, as a pastor's wife, you know, through the years when people come to me with a challenge, my I have I've had to learn to quieten that inner voice inside, how can I fix this? Because I have found that there can be so many things in life that I cannot do anything to fix. So many times only God can fix it. Only God can fix things. And so there's been times that I've wanted to fix things that maybe when I did it, I I should have stepped back and let the master do it. (laughs) Well, that that segues perfectly into another question, and we're almost completely moving away from everything we've talked about in terms of childhood and things. Uh, You've been a pastor's wife, well, 10 years here now in in the Atlanta area, but you were a pastor's wife in in the Chicago area for, oh. 10 years. how, How many years? 17. 17 years. So that's 27 years of being a pastor's wife. And I know this is uh, one of those questions that you probably feel like you have to dance around a little bit, but what do you wish saints understood about pastor's wives? Oh, that's a really good question. I know, for example, that the pastor, I've written about this, and you know this is true, that pastor's wives are kind of a unique role in a church because we don't have a lot of biblical role models to, to look at. And it's an it's an unpaid position that has tremendous responsibility and expectations right. placed on it. And you might even could look back to when you were a young pastor's wife, you know, maybe expectations that are placed or 
or things of that nature. What do you th- what do you wish that saints could look at and say? I, I don't understand that, but I'd I'd like to understand about my pastor's wife. Well, I, I will have to say this uh, to preface is that I really have been in the two congregations that we've been. I've had saints that were very precious to me. Tremendous saints. And so I I have felt uh, affirmed by saints. Now, I can't say that I could tell you certain incidents, but I'm talking overall generality. I I feel very affirmed by our wonderful people here and our precious people in Wheaton. I just had a phone conversation for fairly lengthy with the first Bible study that I taught when we were in Wheaton just the other day. Isn't that amazing? And very precious. And so these people from Wheaton are still very, very dear to my heart. So I felt affirmation there too. But but in general, I think as a pastor's wife is that, uh, you know, we all have our different giftings. You know, some pastor's wives struggle because maybe they're not gifted musically and people stereotype pastor's wives. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that can even change. And, you know, that was a real big problem earlier. Sometimes it's like, you know, you almost need to be tech savvy. <laughs> yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Or, or you need to be a great decorator, or you need to be this, or you need to be that, or you need to be a great teacher, or you need to be this. And every pastor's wife does not have the same giftings. I feel like that I've been where people have been gracious for my areas that I'm not as gifted, and then have allowed me to try to grow in the areas that I feel like that the Lord, you know, does maybe have some areas that I can have some uh, influence in. But I think probably one of the things is that pastor's wives are also wives and they're also mothers. And so uh, a pastor's wife, it does feel different for when you're going through struggles like we did. A pastor's wife will go into a service. She will, when she's going through difficult times, you live in a glass house, you live in a glass house. You, you can't always have the privacy of everything when, and I am basically am a private person at times needing to guard your own emotions uh, at times where you're maybe still be working through an issues. For instance, you know, I talked about things that I had to work through uh, in those early years about uh, how I viewed hardships and, and God's uh, I wasn't a Jonah. We weren't a Jonah, you know, and we were in the will of God and different things. You know, you're working through things spiritually. You're growing too. And yet you do have to do it in the glass house and you have to walk in and you have to make sure that that always that need of knowing that your saints are watching you and that you have a responsibility to never slip. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really slip or anything, but you, you need to try to always put your best foot forward, your best face forward. And that can be emotionally raining at times. So that can be challenging when difficult times come, but then there's also the benefit of that. Okay. So I say that there's also the time that it, it helps us grow stronger so we can do that. Yeah. And if we didn't feel that need. We would not push as hard. So I think I benefited from that, but it is also a process. And also let me say as a pastor's wife, the best thing that you can do for your pastor's wife is to love her family. Yes. Because if, if, if anything is ever negative against, you know, she might can even handle it about herself. Somebody may misspeak about her or, or say something. But if it's about her husband or if it's about her children, pastor's wife can't go. There's been times, you know, that I've seen things and I thought, you know, we could handle that if it was a saint's child. 
But because it's the pastor's child, we kind of have to step back and just let the Lord take care of it and hold our peace. Mom, I want to close out with a one final thing here. You, you had a tremendous brother, my Uncle David, David Smith, who he wasn't born handicapped. He was born healthy. And then he had a, a sickness and a fever that, that caused him to be uh, mentally retarded for the rest of his life. And uh, he, he passed away. Mom, it, forgive me, how many years ago now did Uncle David pass away? Are you able to remember? I believe it was in 2006. So, oh, wow. So about 14 years ago he passed away. But you were raised with a, a brother who had special needs, who was handicapped. That shaped your life in a lot of ways in some ways, probably even prepared you for things that would happen later in life. And you saw people mistreat him and call him names and things like that. I just wanted to mention very quickly as Christians, I know this is something that's near to your heart. We should have a a love and a compassion and a concern and certainly not be ugly or flippant or unkind towards people like that. I, I know as a child, there, there was kind of a common thing that people would say, and I even don't like to say it out loud, but people would call someone retarded and that was an insult or, or it was kind of a common insult that people would say just being silly or, and thinking it was funny. That was always very offensive to our family because if, if you had someone in your life who was retarded and you'd seen them made fun of legitimately, it's very, very hurtful. Could you speak to Christians who may not have a sensitivity to that and help them understand why that is so harmful and why we should be caring towards people that that might have uh, special needs. Right. I thank you, Ryan. I, that's that's something that we don't hear addressed a lot. And yes, my childhood and my life was definitely shaped by uh, having a very very special brother. And I always looked for birthday cards that said my special brother and what a joy he was. And yet there was many hardships and heartaches because of the frustration of uh, the things that he could not do that he desired to do. And my parents were heroes, truly godly, incredible people. Genuine heroes. Genuine heroes who not only looked after their needs or their handicapped child, but also did their very best to have of the opportunities for their two daughters who had other needs too. And how they juggled it, I look at it amazement as a parent and as an adult and on how they made our childhood happy. And my mother, it was a, still a happy childhood, even though there were times that there was heartache and, and, and challenges. But I do remember very well being a, a child and my brother was in special education in elementary school. And I remember the popular kid in my class as my brother got into the car and I got in the car and he stood behind the car and mimicked um, the awkward gait that my brother had as he walked or the rocking that he would do in the car. And I was a very shy introverted, but I was so angry that even though I could be shy you didn't mess with my brother. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, I was so determined that I was going to let it be known that he was my brother, that in elementary school, when the special education class would come in, I would leave my lunch area. It was not without permission, but I would leave and go back to see my brother 
and talk to the special education class. Well, the principal finally had to call my mother and said, you know, it's very sweet that Rebecca wants to go back and see her brother and his friends, but it actually kind of gets the table a little disruptive and it makes it harder for the teachers. So could you please ask her to go? <laughs> right. you know? But we did, we did learn, you know, from a very young age, not only somebody that, but anybody to learn empathy and compassion because we had the inside story. We saw while there were joys and unconditional love, we saw the heartache and the pain and the trials. And so if somebody was mentally handicapped, we didn't have fun at their expense. If somebody was hard, they were deaf or somebody that was blind or someone had an awkward gait. And you know, that's Christ-like. And it's amazing to me how Christians, and I, and I know many times that's because they have not put thought into it. They're not intentional. They don't measure their thoughts and their actions, and it can be upbringing. But I do believe as Christians, it is very important to think about the people that you are ministering to, you know, for us to try and, and, and not in, in many different areas. Uh, you know, I'll take it to just a little another thing is I'm, I'm very conscious on Mother's Day that I have mothers out there that have longed for a child. And, and they may not have. So because of other experiences, I will say I want all of our women because God has given there's somebody in your life that you are nurturing. And so we need to have a sensitivity. And so when it comes to those that are handicapped, that are mis- more uh, that have misfortune and all, we should not be ridiculed. We should be Christ like in our actions and realize that what incredible pain that words can cause for somebody that is living a life that they have the inside story and they know all the hurts and the tears and the fears and the and the and the broken dreams that happen and if we can have sensitivity the hardest thing for my parents and for me as a child would be into a church service or a conference where there would be skits or little dramas that were putting on and one of them was portrayed and they were almost like a slow person and everybody laughed i remember my times that my parents had really great great pain over that and it, it grieved them within the church. Church needs to be very conscious of those things as a Christian. Absolutely. Well, Mom, thank you so much for being on Apostolic Voice. I love you, and I appreciate you. Thank and you we'll much. talk to you very soon. Okay. Thank you. Love you. Love you. 